loving shepherd of my soul keep me close i love you so lead me where the waters flow in your rich green pasture be my guide i'm in your care keep my feet from every snare i will follow anywhere you call me to go thank you lord thank you lord i will thank you lord in your will i'm content i'll not wish for more i will seek your kingdom first i will trust all that you do thank you lord thank you lord i rejoice in you shepherd of eternity all my future you can see show me what is best for me i trust in your goodness in the valley i'll not fear through the storm your voice i hear your strong arm is always near i rest in your love thank you lord thank you lord i will wish for more i will seek your kingdom first i will trust all that you do thank you lord thank you lord i rejoice in you thank you lord and dismiss the kids ages four years old through fourth grade, four years old through fourth grade. While they're heading out, go and open your Bibles to Psalm 103, Psalm 103. Psalm 103, which Luke read earlier, um, is, for me, it's a, it's a great psalm for Thanksgiving. And I think a lot of times when I think of Thanksgiving, it's a time to stop and to reflect on everything that the Lord has done for us. 
But in reflecting, I think that sometimes there's something wrong with us if that meditation does not produce heartfelt praise as well from our lips. This Psalm of David is is a Psalm just like that. He meditates on what God has done for him and it outflows with praise for who God is and what he has done. And sometimes I feel like my view of God might be deficient in some way because a lot of times it doesn't excite me as much as as it ought to. It doesn't doesn't make me um, overwhelming with gratitude and praise the way that it ought to. And and I, th- I think that I'm not alone in this. I think a lot of us struggle with these same types of feelings where we aren't as grateful. We aren't as praising of a people as we ought to be. And, we, and so we really, we need to stop and we need to ask ourselves, why is it the case that we lack a heart that wants to praise God, that overflows with praise? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself why praise doesn't naturally just come from your lips? Why it isn't just the natural response whenever God does something? Have you ever asked yourself why, <clears throat> why it is that we complain so much or we grumble so much about things that we go through? Why is it so hard for us to thank God for anything? You, you've all had those Thanksgiving meals where everybody goes around and says what they're thankful for. I don't know. Is that a tradition today? My family still does this. Okay. So, and how many of us struggle to come up with something right at that moment? You know, I, I think of Wednesday night services. We have praise time every, every Wednesday. And I'm not saying you have to say something every Wednesday, but how much of a struggle is it for you to come up with something? You know, why is it that we have this struggle to come up with something to praise God for and to thank him for? And I think that if you consider the fact that all praise is an outflowing of what we love, men inevitably will praise what they love, right? Um, are there any football games going on? I don't watch football, okay? Anybody know? Tracy, you should know. What, anybody playing today? Not your team? Okay, so, yeah. But men, men will inevitably, and I put the emphasis on men for this illustration, okay? So, men will inevitably praise what they love. You think about the football games, right? You got those crazy guys up in the stands who rip their shirt off, and their chest is painted whatever color, and it has the team name written all over it, right? Kind of crazy, huh? Okay, but men will go to extreme measures to praise what they love. Now, not all of us are as emotional as that, where we've got, we've got church, Harvest Hills Baptist Church written on our chest, and we're going to pull off our shirt, you know, and praise what we love. You know, that's, we're not all like that. But every man does praise what he loves. The things that you love, those are the things that you talk about, right? You're, you may not be emotional, but what conversations do we have when we're around our friends? What is it that we talk about? If it's computers, you're going to talk about all these computer things. Every time you get around that one friend that you know loves the things that you love. If it's football, you'll talk about football. Maybe it's politics. You really love politics. And so every conversation you have is about politics, right? And what you love is what you will talk about. It automatically comes out. It isn't forced. You don't have to make it happen. It just does because it's what you love. It's what you're passionate about. And it automatically outflows in praise. In this psalm right here, the first three verses here begin, or the first three words here begin with these words. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. It's, a, it's coming out. It's a, it's a praise. It's a blessing upon the Lord because of everything that he has done. And maybe I think sometimes we don't praise God naturally because we have an overinflated view of ourselves. 
Maybe we think that we, are, that we deserve everything that we get. Or we worked hard for everything that we get. I've got, I've got relatives who will say this. So I've worked hard for every piece of thing that I have. I don't need to thank God for that. You know, that's, I think subconsciously we slip into this mindset where we think we deserve it because we're, that's why we grumble when we don't get it, right? We think we ought to have had it. Or we think that we earned it, so therefore there's nothing to give thanks for. I worked hard for all this, okay? And maybe we don't say those words, but inside we feel them a lot of times. Maybe it's sometimes we've just forgotten, right? We don't praise because we've forgotten everything that God's done for you. Think of your kids, right? How many things do you do for your kids? Have you done for your kids throughout your entire life? Yes, Chloe, I'm looking at you. Okay. So how many things have you done for your kids? But oftentimes your kids generally will whine and they didn't get lunch at uh, 1030, okay? Right? So, because they, they have forgotten all the things that you have done for them in the past. They're latching on to and focusing on the one thing that they expected and didn't get, right? And so a lot of times we forget everything that the Lord has done for us. And that, and that might be why we don't just naturally overflow with praise for him. Think about all those Bible verses you memorized as a kid, right? How many of them could you spout off right now at this very moment if I were, if I were to ask you? I've mem- been through the entire Awana program, memorized every verse and including their little extra packets that they give out if you finish everything. Okay, And yet, I can't spout off all those verses that I memorized as a kid, because if you're not actively thinking about meditating on them, they go away. They get replaced with other things that you're thinking about, that you're meditating on, and uh, things that take up other space. So to the believer who truly grasps, remembers, and meditates on God's goodness, how could it not but flow out in praise? Now, this is my main premise for the message tonight. If we truly meditate on what God has done for us, it ought to flow out of us in praise. That's, that's the basic lesson that we need to take away from all of this right here. Let's look at Psalm 103. Um, psalm 103 is David's psalm of praise. Uh, verse, verse 1 through 3 is, first of all, going to be David's call. He calls the, the audience and, the, and other people to join him in his praising of the Lord. He says, Bless the Lord. O my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the name of the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Actually, verses 1 and 2. But then he repeats this in verses 20 through 22. He says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts. He ministered of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, if you've been in any of my Sunday school classes, you probably will recognize something here. In, in a biblical writing, oftentimes an author will bookend the beginning and the end of a passage to tell you what it is about. Technical term, we call this an inclusio, okay? But what this whole psalm is about is blessing the Lord. That's the thing that David wants to get across to his audience. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. And everything in between just develops this concept. This is the thought that he wants to drive us home to. And that's why he bookends the beginning and the end of the chapter with these calls to bless the Lord. And in doing so, David is making a summons, okay? If I, uh, if 
actually back in the old days, I guess, uh, you'd have out at your farm, you have those little triangles. I don't know if any of you are old enough to have little triangles, right? But uh, mom would come out there and she'd ding them real quick and that would be the sign, hey kids, come on in, it's time to eat, right? Okay, usually in, in, in our family, it was the street lights are starting to go down on base and mom yells out, kids, and that meant it's time to come home, okay? So that is a summons, And David is doing just that. He is summoning us to bless the Lord, to come, to gather together, to lift up our voices, and to praise God. That is the emphasis that he is making. He's calling for the audience to join him in his praise. But notice who he calls to this praise. Verse number one, bless the Lord, O my soul. First of all, David calls himself to join in in this praise. David, knowing how easy it is to slip into lethargy, or spiritual sleep, he rouses himself up to praise the Lord. The soul here is defined as all that is within me. That's the text. He says, all that is within me, bless his holy name. So David is calling on himself to praise God with all of himself, with everything that he has. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, we know these verses. It says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Praise is meant to be a mental exercise in that you do remember what the Lord has done, but it isn't just a mental exercise. It is also meant to be an emotional exercise in that you rejoice in what God has done for you. It's also meant to be a matter of the will because you may not always feel like giving thanks for everything at all times. Maybe you've had a rough morning getting here today and you're rushing through the door, the kids were dragging their feet, and you just don't feel like praising today because it was, it was kind of rough, right? Praise involves both our heart, our mind, and our will. We've got to make a choice to praise the Lord as well. Praise is meant to be an entire person thing. It is not meant to be just merely an intellectual exercise. And this is why in the Psalms, people oftentimes, physically, they would dance. They would clap their hands. They would shout as they praised the Lord. You can't deny it. It's in the text, okay? They did these things. Why? Because praise was an expression of the entire person, the entire being. Now, please don't start dancing in the aisles, okay? So, but, but that doesn't mean we can't express our gratitude to the Lord. I mean, I'm up here preaching, and I'm trying to preach from my heart. What am I doing with my hands? I'm using my hands to emphasize my words. And you guys do that in in the way that you talk as well. We use our bodies to communicate what we are trying to say. And so when we praise the Lord, we we can express our praise to him as a whole being. Praise, honestly, it should lighten up the eyes or quicken the heart because you're excited about what you are saying. It should rouse, you need to rouse yourself up to praise the Lord. So he rouses himself up. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the first person he calls. Next, he calls the angels to join in in the praise. In verse number uh, 20, it says, bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. These angels are most likely the archangels that he is referring to. They do, they do his will, and he does not say... <clears throat> Sorry. And so he says, the the archangels that do his will specifically. And he's not saying all the archangels because we know Satan was an archangel. Does Satan do God's will? Yeah, (laughs) that's okay. Yet, so he's making a distinction here. You you redeemed, you you godly archangels, 
You need to praise the Lord. In Isaiah 6, verse 2 and 3, we see a reference to these archangels, and it says, And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly, and cried one unto another and said, and this is what they do, they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. So we see the archangels giving God glory. The next verse here, verse 21. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. The hosts here are the armies of the lesser angels, the non-archangels, all the other angels. These ones serve as the servants of the Lord. They do his will. And we know in Hebrews verse 14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So God's angels are they minister to our needs on behalf of God's pleasure. They do what God desires. And he calls them to join in in this praise and this blessing. And then in verse 22, bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. All created things, everything, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the animals on land, even the earth itself is called to praise the Lord. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And we see all these things, they, they give glory to God. And yet, mankind, who has received redemption from Jesus Christ, Christians, believers, who Jesus Christ died on our behalf for, so often we do not lift up and give him praise. And so David is making a call for us to join him. But this command to bless the Lord is also defined in, the, in verse number two. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and... Forget not all his benefits. Okay, again, this is oftentimes why we do not lift up our praise to the Lord, because we have forgotten. We have forgotten all the things that he has done. And why is it that we have forgotten? Because we haven't been thinking about it. We haven't been meditating on it. We don't purposefully think about what the Lord has done for us, the good things. What does it mean to bless the Lord? It means to not forget his benefits, okay? So it's kind of the idea of recounting what the Lord has done for us. You cannot properly praise God if you are forgetting everything that he has done for you, okay? I mentioned above that sometimes we just forget, forget to praise God. Maybe we forget to think about God throughout our day. How often do we slip into these thoughts where God just doesn't even enter into our thoughts? And so he doesn't have any impact on what we do. And this happens because a lot of times we do not spend time meditating on what God has done for us. One of the best practices I have found in my life, and, in, and honestly this comes from the lessons of almost any great preacher of the past, is what we call journaling. Okay? This isn't in the text, but this is, this is practical. Okay? You want to remember what the Lord has done for you? Write it down. Get a book like this and write it down. What I do is, as I do my devotions, I write down what the Lord's trying to teach me in, in my journal, but also when the Lord has done something for me, I try to write down what the Lord has done. And then I've got a system. I put a little star at the top so I can flip back to that page. But if you don't want to forget, you've got to actively remember. You've got to do something. And so journaling is a practical tip. Another one we already mentioned on Thanksgiving Day. What do we all do around the Thanksgiving table? We all go around taking turns saying something we are thankful for, hopefully, okay? If you make this more of a daily habit, it'll have the impact of reminding you 
of what the Lord has done. When we do family devotions, that's how we end our family devotions, is we will go around and we will all give God thanks for something. And I have a rule. The kids are not allowed to say the same thing as somebody else. So they have to actually think about it a little bit harder, okay? They can't all say, I'm grateful for my daddy, and then be done, okay? So they got to come up with something else. And they need to be specific, right? They need to thank God for something specifically. But if we're going to avoid forgetting all his benefits, we've got to actively remember all of his benefits. You've got to do something to remember that, to, cu- to create a meditation in your heart. Now, in support of this idea of journaling, I wrote down a few verses that talk about this a little bit. But you remember the story of Esther, okay? In, in Esther, you have the king, and uh, King Ahasuerus is, uh, he's sitting one night and he can't sleep. And what does he do? Because he can't sleep, he calls for a really boring book, I guess, probably, okay? The book of the records of the Chronicles, and he has it read to him. But why was a book of the record of the Chronicles written in the first place? So he could remember what had happened. And you know what? As they read, he discovered, oh, I forgot about what Mordecai did. And now he remembers because it was written down, right? He wrote, he wrote it down, and that enabled him to remember what had been done. But there's another truth in Malachi 3, verse 16. Even God himself keeps such a book like this, a book of remembrance. Malachi 3.16 says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Now, I don't think God forgets, but he has a book of remembrance, and he has it for a reason. And the names that are written down are, though, according to this text, it's those who have spoken often one to another and that hearkened and, and obeyed the Lord. And God has a book of remembrance written before him of those things. More often than not, we don't praise God because we don't even remember everything that he has done for us. Oftentimes, we, something happens to us, and we say, oh, that's nice. So nice that somebody did this for me. But we don't stop and think, God, through this person, did this for me. We don't, we don't think about all the things that God has done for us. Maybe we don't even, uh, we don't even think about uh, what the Lord has done. Maybe we just think that it's the result of our own deeds, the things that we have done. But what follows in the rest of this psalm is David doing exactly what I just told you. It's David's book of remembrance. It, it, literally, he wrote these words down, didn't he? Okay, He wrote these words down. This is David's remembrance of what God has done for him. Originally, I was only going to preach on one of them, and I probably could preach a whole sermon on one of them, but then I got to talking about with pastor, and uh, I kind of felt like, oh, maybe I need to preach the whole passage while I was talking with pastor. So, so I'm going to preach on the entire chapter. You guys will not be here for till 6 o'clock, okay? We will not keep you that long, okay? But what we see in verses 3 through 19 are David's book of remembrance, David's lists of benefits. Verse 3, he says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. First of all, the first benefit that we have as a believer is we have forgiveness of sins. God didn't have to forgive anybody of their sins. All men deserve death and judgment and hell. All of us do. And God would be perfectly just if he had sent every single person on the face of the earth to hell without an offer of forgiveness. He still would have been just because that is what we deserve by our sin. But yet God loved us enough to offer us a way to have our sins forgiven. 
not owed to us by God. It is a free gift of God. God. But here's the thing. God does not desire our death and our eternity in hell. That is not the heart of God. Ezekiel 18 verse 23 says, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. Ezekiel 18 verse 32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Ezekiel 33, 11, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Here is the heart of God. God is perfectly just to condemn every man to hell, but God's heart says, I have no delight in the death of the wicked. He calls rather and he says, turn ye that ye may live. Turn to me, come to me, that I can give you life. That is the heart of God. Genesis 18 verse 25 says, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. And here's the question, he says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God is just, and he has to punish sin. But God is also loving and merciful, and he wants to save mankind. But God, as a just judge, he cannot just excuse sin. Let's say Katie came and she murdered somebody yesterday. If I were a judge and she were to stand before my judgment seat, would I be a good judge if I just let her go? No, I would be a horrible, wicked, evil judge. And God is not an evil judge. God will do what is right, okay? But here's the thing. Jesus took our punishment. And so God's love and God's justice could both be satisfied. 1 John 4, verse 10. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. As a believer, we have so much to be thankful for. But the greatest thing that we have to be thankful for is God's forgiveness of our sins. And that's something every, every Christian you have every day, you have all of your life, you can be grateful at any moment for this thing because God has forgiven us of our sins. The next thing he recounts is healing. Verse 3 says, who healeth all thy diseases. God heals our diseases. Uh, some, some of these statements may sound like they're promises that God's going to heal every disease. That's not the case, okay? But he will in the future. There is coming a day when every disease will be gone. Every, every illness will, be, will pass away. Every ache that you have as an old person, which I'm already there, okay? So every ache that you have getting up in the morning will all be gone because God will heal all things. But what this is saying is that every disease that is healed is ultimately healed by whom? It is healed by God. Your doctor has a hand in it, but it is God who allows you to be healed. And so for this, when we are sick with the flu and we, and we gradually get over it, oftentimes we, we think of things like that as, oh, I just naturally healed. I got over it. But it was still God's hand behind it, bringing us health, bringing us the healing, that we needed to go to. How many people in the past died from just the flu in history? I mean, it was one of the number one killers, right? And today we go through a week of the flu and we get up on the other side and think it's just a natural occurrence that I got healthy. God allowed us to be healed of that sickness. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He healeth the broken in heart and he bindeth up their wounds. So not only does God heal us physically, but God can heal our hearts. He healeth the broken in heart, right?
right? There, we all go through situations that are hard, that hurt, that break us emotionally, intellectually, personally, and God can heal those things as well as the flesh. He healeth all thy diseases. The third thing is in verse number four. He says, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. We can be thankful to God. We can give God thanks because he is kind. He is gentle, right? I think of Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. God is kind, towards us. God goes out of his way to shower us with good things every day. We don't oftentimes make the connection because we are so focused on the world that we don't see that God's hand is behind it. But we also know that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights with whom, with whom is no shadow of turning, neither, sorry, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Flipped the words around, okay? So, but every good gift, every perfect gift, comes from God, and it is a sign of his kindness. He is not a cruel taskmaster who wants to make your life miserable. There are cruel taskmasters out there. Seek money. If that's your goal, how happy are you actually going to be at the end? Can you name me a millionaire who is overflowing with joy because of all the money they have? Or are they more just consumed with getting more? And it makes them miserable because they don't have everything. They've got to continue to get more. You can seek it, but it is a cruel taskmaster. You can seek after popularity, but you know what? There's always going to be somebody more popular than you are, and popularity is like the winds and the waves of the sea. It has highs and it has lows. Today, you might be the popular kid. Tomorrow, you might be the nerd that everybody looks down on, right? And so popularity changes. If you seek after it, it will not bring happiness, <clears throat> love, relationships, emotional highs, those can only give you an emotional high for so long. Eventually, you're going to come crashing down if that's what you're constantly seeking. Girls with their romance after seeking this perfect marriage or Hallmark movies, okay? So, okay, seeking after this stereotypical perfect relationship. That isn't true to reality. Guess what? You're, if you get married, Jim and Tanya, you know this, you get married, you're going to wake up to a guy who snores, Okay, it's not it's not going to continue to be perfect for all of eternity. And if you seek after love, you seek after emotional relationships, it's going to disappoint you at some time if that's the goal that you pursue in your life. But and it will be a cruel taskmaster to you. Many lives have been destroyed by seeking after these cruel taskmasters. But God is kind so all these other pursuits, they will oppress you and they will hurt you, but God is tender and he is kind towards us. Next one is satisfaction, verse number five. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. Just as those taskmasters are cruel and only bring misery, they cannot bring you fulfillment. But God can give us fulfillment. He can satisfy us. Ultimately, it's because men were created to bring glory to God. And the only way that we can be fulfilled is by fulfilling that purpose, by giving God the glory. And so as we have relationship with him, God fulfills us. He satisfies us in a way that none of those other things ever could. The money, the popularity, the relationships, all those things can't satisfy us, but God can. <clears throat> Jeremiah likens those who seek 
fulfillment in other things, and I preached on this recently, he likens them as people who have replaced the living waters with broken cisterns that can hold no water. So you've got rivers that constantly flow with water and they bring fresh water. That is a picture of God. But they have chosen to replace him with a well that has cracks in it. And what happens to the water in that well? It seeps out. It goes away because it can never hold the water. It can never bring fulfillment in life. Only God, the true and the living waters, can bring that fulfillment. In Haggai, he uses a similar illustration. In Haggai 1 verse 6, he says, Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe, but there is no warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. They're pursuing food and drink and warmth and money, and it's as if they're sticking it in a bag with holes in it, okay? And all that, all that stuff is falling out, and they end up at the end with nothing. <clears throat> and so God, God can bring us satisfaction. And so when we are satisfied, we can praise God for that satisfaction, for the, for the fulfillment that he brings into our lives. Oftentimes we don't feel these things because we're seeking that fulfillment in the wrong place. But God can fulfill us and we can give him praise for it. Next thing is also in verse number five, and that is renewal. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The older I get, the more I can empathize with older people who do not have any strength or who have very little strength, right? And it is a sign of youth to have the physical strength that you need, to have life and vigor and, and vitality. And <clears throat> here he talks about the Lord renewing us, giving us strength. He says, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The, the focus here, in my opinion, is this, that he is not saying this, there's this weird thing where eagles renew their strength and all that, but rather he is saying your strength will be renewed so that it will be like an eagle, which is a majestic and a powerful bird, okay? That, that's kind of the idea here. And God will renew our strength. And one thing I have been learning more and more and more is that weakness in our life is an opportunity for God to show his strength. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we can rejoice, we can be glad even in times when we feel weak. We feel like we don't have the strength to continue on. We feel like there isn't a, a light at the end of the tunnel because God can show his strength at those times. And God promises to renew us so we can praise God for his renewal. The next thing is his justice, verse number six. <clears throat> the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. <clears throat> God is the one who brings justice. Does that mean there is no injustice today in the world? No, there's definitely injustice in the world today. But no one escapes the justice of God. Ultimately, the murderer who gets away with murder, he may live to be 93 years old and then pass away, and we would say, oh, he never met justice. He got away with his crime, right? But we know that's not the case. Because he will stand before God, and he will have to give an account, and he will be judged by God. And so evil will not prevail. It will not get away with it. God brings justice. Those who persecute Christians around the world, those who 
promote evil, the killing of babies in this world, oppression, racism, unjust war, God will punish. They will meet their justice. And even if it doesn't happen now, here at this moment, a record is being kept and they will when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Think of uh, Hebrews, as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. We will all face the judgment. And so the, the wicked will not get away with their evil. Verse number seven, he praises God that God reveals himself. He says, he hath made known his ways unto Moses and his acts upon the children of Israel. God has revealed himself. As we've been going through the attributes of God on Wednesday night, one of the attributes that we talked about was the incomprehensibility of God, which means that we cannot fully know God, right? And really, we would not know God at all except God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And he says in verse number seven, he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. God revealed who he was and what he was like and what he would do to Moses and to the children of Israel. And we have those accounts in scriptures here. Hebrews 1 verse 1 through 3 that says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You want to know something you can give God thanks for? God has spoken. He has made himself known. We have a book that tells us what our God is like. We are not like the Athenians on Mars Hill who worshipped an unknown God, a God they didn't know anything about. A God like that could come across and slap you across the head and you wouldn't even have a clue why he did it because he is unknown. He is a mystery to you. But our God has sought to reveal himself to us and in doing so, he has sought to establish a relationship with his people. So we can praise God that God has spoken and he has enabled us to be able to have a relationship with him. But then verses eight through 18 is a longer section here we see God's mercy. We can praise God for his mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. God will forgive and God will show mercy. He is slow to get angry. He doesn't just fly off the handle and consume us like he could. In verse 9, it says, He does not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. God is not going to continually be constantly angry at you when you have messed up, when you have sinned. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and he is just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So we can be sure that God is not nurturing some secret anger against us that he just can't get over in verse number 10, he says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And the idea here is, if God fully dealt with our sins, we would be dead. We would be consumed. But God has chosen mercy. His mercy is as boundless, according to verse 11, as the heaven is high above the earth. As high as the heaven is, or as far as the east is from the west. Now, have you ever tried to 
um, have east and west meet. If you, if, if you go east, eventually you're just going to keep on going east. The east and west do not meet. There is no meeting point for the two of them. God's mercy is basically, it's eternal. It is everlasting. It is, it is higher than we could ever imagine. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. And in forgiving us of our sins, God has cast our sins away behind his back to where he will never again see them and confront them again. God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. It has no beginning and it has no ending because it is who he is and it belongs to those who are in a relationship with him. So we see God's mercy. But then also in verse 13 and 14, we see God's Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He knows our weaknesses, and he is merciful because God pities us. Uh, It says here, first of all, God pities us as a father doth his child. Now, this is kind of, in our culture, this is a strange analogy to make because if you think of which parent would be the most tender, kind, and compassionate parent, you're not going to say the father most of the time, right? You would say the mother is the one who is going to show compassion. But God, as, as a good father, as a true father, shows compassion towards us. He, and he relates to us as a gentle father who cares for his children. But I think any good father's heart grieves for his children, right? Even, even your harder fathers don't actively show their love when they see their kids hurting, they grieve for their kids. And God grieves for us when, when we, he sees us and he sees the pain that we go through. And this is, this is seen in the phrase here, for he remembereth that we are dust. God grieves over the mortality of man, the fleetingness of man. Your life is but a vapor. It will last for a little time. And God grieves over that. Our days are few and we are all dying. Death grieves the heart of God. And we will all pass away, but, God, but here's the contrast. He says, um, for he knoweth, that our frame, he, rem- he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. So our lives are like a vapor. We, we, we disappear. We're like grass that dies away. But, verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. So even though we are mortal, we are fleeting, God's mercy is everlasting, and God pities his children. The final thing that uh, David praises God for is found in verse number 19, and this is the sovereignty of God. The Lord hath prepared his heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. God is in control. There is nothing That is outside of his control. God's sovereignty is over everything. Nothing escapes his rule and control. Now, this is the point I'm going to preach the least on. This is the one I was going to preach an entire message on, okay, because I'll probably save it. But here's the thing. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens. Nobody gave him this throne. It is his alone. He, He owns it. He is sovereign. He is king over everything. And we can give God thanks even in the bad times. Because we know that he is sovereign over everything that is going on. He is in control. 
So we can praise God. And all these things, these are just remembrances of David for what God has done. God has forgiven me. He's healed me. He's redeemed my life from destruction. He's kind. He satisfies me. He fulfills me. He renews me. He is just. He is merciful. He pities me. And he is sovereign over everything that I go through. And because David meditates on all of these things and he writes them down, David's mouth overflows with a heart that wants to praise and to bless the Lord. And he concludes, bless the Lord, ye his angels. Bless the Lord, all ye his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So my challenge for you this morning is this. Forget not all his benefits. Don't just let them pass by, unthought about, unmeditated upon, but take an account of what the Lord has done for us. Today, out of all days, this is why we are gathered here today. Let's go ahead and have a time of invitation. The pianist doesn't mind coming. Remember, men inevitably praise what they love and what they're consumed by and what they have a passion for. Let's remember and think about everything that the Lord has done. Let's be passionate about what the Lord has done for our lives, and let's give him praise and thanks today. If you don't mind standing, we'll all bow our heads stand. <laughs> so. Okay, so we're going to give the ladies uh, about 10 minutes just to get everything set up and and all that. Um, Brother Schrader, do you mind closing us in prayer?